Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Carol Sickle. The sermon title this morning is Discovering God's Will for Us. And the big question for me, and I hope it is for you as well, is what is, what is God's will for my life? I don't know if you've considered that. And if we do know, how do we surrender our lives to God? Jesus says, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which has sent me, that of all which he has given me, that you and me, I should lose nothing, but you should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son, and here's the key word, believeth on him, may have everlasting life. As Jesus invites us to come to him, he also reminds us that he was safe to come unto. He was never interested in his own agenda, but in his Father's will. And everyone who gazes upon the Son and believes will spend eternity with him. Question, brothers and sisters, do you want to spend eternity with Jesus? Amen. Amen, sister. In 1692, there was a big earthquake that struck Port Royal in Jamaica. Two-thirds of the town sank into the sea immediately. Before the earthquake, the town consisted of 6,500 inhabitants living in about 2,000 buildings, many constructed of brick and with more than one story. In the picture on the right, that was a double story. And all was built on loose sand. During the quake, the sand liquefied. It became like water. It liquefied. The sand became like waves. I don't know if I got a video from um, Christchurch, from a friend in Christchurch, when they had the big earthquake there. They had taken a video where the ground actually undulated. You could see that. And this is what happened there. The, the sand was liquefied, so like liquid, and then it became like waves in the ocean, opening and closing fissures, which are long, uh, long gaps in the ground, and crushing people. Once the quaking settled, the sand solidified and trapped people. What an awful death there must have been. Many had predicted that this corrupt city of pirates and cutthroats would one day suffer God's judgment. Therefore, when the disaster struck, it was no surprise to them, especially to a man called Louis Galdi, who was born in France but left for the New World in search of religious freedom. When the first violent shock came, Galdi was buried deep beneath the earth. Amazingly, he was alive. 
He was conscious and understood what had happened. He resigned himself to the will of God. But much like Jonah in the belly of the sea monster, a few moments later, the ground shook violently and exploded and threw Galdi flying through the air, landing in the ocean unhurt. And he swam around until the boat picked him up. He lived for another 47 years after his miraculous escape. The safest place in the world is to be in the middle of God's will. It doesn't matter if you're surrounded by typhoons or tornadoes or volcanoes or earthquakes. If we are in the middle of God's will, we have nothing to worry about. The Bible says the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. If you and I are following God's will, we are guaranteed eternal life. As John prayed this morning, as long as we are in his will, we have nothing to worry about. I've often heard the question asked, and I myself have asked the question, how do I know, how do you know, and how do I know that what we're doing is what God wants us to do? Is that a hard question? No? Some are saying yes, some are saying no. Okay. Of course, we must all abide by the universal general principles regarding the will of God. It is God's will for everyone to be holy, to be loving, and to be true. But at the same time, the Lord has individual plans for each one of us. Each one of us have a calling. And each person that is called is so varied and unique as a snowflake. You know, there's no two snowflakes the same. Christians should avoid flipping coins or putting a, a finger on a Bible verse when making big decisions. I know of someone personally and her mother who does that. And I'm not saying that God doesn't wink at our ignorance and that he can't do what we ask him to do. Um, but be very careful about using your Bible like a Ouija board. And I don't think it's advisable if you don't have a very strong relationship with God either. You might flip your Bible open, and I only discovered this when I was doing, preparing the sermon. You might flip your Bible open and put your finger down where it says, Isaiah walked naked and barefoot three years. Who knew that? I certainly didn't. And if you want to check it out, it's in Isaiah 23. So that wouldn't obviously be God's will for your life. So be careful. I know they cast lots in the Bible, but it was God that was directing the lots, yeah? And we have Gideon, who wanted a reassurance before he went into battle and put the fleece out, not once, but twice, because he thought it was a normal occurrence and he'll try the Lord again and see if it would work. He was reassured at the end of it. But we can get into a pattern of throwing up fleeces to test God's will as well. Never willing to go with the answer from the fleece the night before. And sometimes you say, we'll do it a third time. Visions and dreams 
I don't know if you heard about the young farmer who was plowing the field one day. And he was pondering what he was doing and he was thinking, is this what I'm going to do for the rest of my life? And a wind came up and it blew the clouds around in the sky and he looked up to the sky and he saw the clouds form a P and a C. And so he believed that God had said him, you need to preach Christ. So he went and he washed himself and put on a suit and off he went. Unfortunately, in the six months he was doing that, he didn't get much results. And um, his family was starting to suffer financially, obviously, and um, he came back and went back into the field and the people, the neighbors said, hey, what's happened? We thought that you were called to preach the gospel or preach Christ. And he said, I think PC in the sky meant plant corn. So sometimes we can think that this is what God's calling us to do, but it's not actually what he's calling us to do. So if you're going to go based on decisions, on dreams and visions, make sure that there's a reinforcing evidence. God is also saying, don't limit me. You're only giving me just two options. I might have a thousand options. He has a thousand ways we know nothing of. Don't corner the Lord by by trying to limit how God is going to answer. Let's use our brains and pray for divine wisdom instead. Yeah? So let's take a moment now to discover some biblical and common sense ways to, to discern the will of our Creator. We face a lot of big decisions in our times, in our lifetimes, actually. When young people, and there's some of them that have just come out of uni, um, get out of high school or uni, they need to ask, what college will I attend? What will I study? Will I even go? What job should I pursue? Who am I going to marry? Do I say yes to the first person? Should I marry at all? Before we get into determining what God would have you do in any given circumstance, let's deal with some basics. First and foremost, it is God's will for you to be saved. The Lord is not willing that any perish, but that all should come to repentance. What you are doing in life as a vocation should take a back seat if you don't yet have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. That's very important. Second, insurance companies like to refer to natural disasters as an act of God. That's not always true. Not everything that happens is the will of God. As we read, God is not willing that any should perish But you know what? As we read in the Sabbath school this morning, some are going to perish because they haven't accepted the gift that God's given them. Remember, it was the devil in the story of Job. I think we'll be very surprised when we get to heaven and God pulls back the veil and, and we'll be a witness to the cosmic battle that's going on behind the scenes. As somebody spoke about spiritual warfare, um, I spoke to people last night about uh, marriage relationships, you know, how sometimes it's so trying because if Satan can split that, then he has our young ones. He has our children because they become 
um, they are affected by the breakup. And so there's a cosmic battle happening, and it's not what God wants us to do. So, number one, be willing and surrendered. Did you know in the States, they did a survey in the States, a person has more than 23,000 ways of making a living. The odds are not in your favor to simply guess what you're supposed to do as a career. What you want most is divine leading in your life. You want God to give you wisdom on how to discern his plan for you. The first step is also the most important and often the most difficult. Be fully surrendered and willing. If anyone wills in John 7, 17, it says, If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. God will let you know his will. If you are truly willing to do it concerning the doctrine, once you understand what it is. When I first came into the faith, about 14 years ago, I used to say to my son, Andrew, I don't know what God wants me to do. And he would gently, gently respond to me and say, Mom, I think he wants a relationship with you. And six months later, I would say again, Andrew, I don't know what God wants me to do for him. And again, he would gently say, Mom, I think he wants a relationship with you. It took me a long time. I must be a slow learner. It took me a long time before the penny dropped. Because I was task-oriented, see? And all God was asking me to do was to be still and know that he's God. So ask God to give you a submissive heart and a willing heart when trying to discern his will. Also surrender yourself to Jesus before expecting him to lead you. If your heart is in a state of rebellion and you're not surrendered, why would God show you his will? The humble he guides in justice and the humble he teaches his ways. There was a simple man from Congo who said, Lord, you be the needle and I will be the thread and you will lead. I will follow wherever you lead. That's humility. That's a humble attitude we need to discern God's will. You might not always like what he shows you, but make up your mind that by his grace you will do it before you even know what it is. You know, we used to, I used to be in, this, in a church before. The church I was in before, we would have prayer meetings on a Wednesday night, and people would pray for the Holy Spirit, but they never ever allowed the Holy Spirit to use them. Two. Be guided by his word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When you are searching for God's will, 
you need to open the Bible even more than what you're doing at the moment. Ask God to help you find specific guidance for your life in his word. God's word has a lot of practical things to say about God's will, like in the law, the moral law. Some married Christians wonder, should I leave my spouse and go off with another person? They might even say, it just feels so right. We can see God's blessing. We've got so much peace. We see this as God's will. Someone may say, in order to get an incredible career opportunity, I just need to work two Sabbaths each month until I get a tenor. Well, you don't really need to pray about either of this, do you? I know there's, I know there's, um, there's exceptions in situations. Consider Christian counsel. I like this. Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. When searching for God's will, find others who have good judgment and will be honest with you. It says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. In other words, don't get counsel from people whose lives are a disaster. They're probably not in the best position to give you sound advice. Instead, find people who are doing God's will themselves. Do they have a consistent spiritual witness? Can you see the hand of God over them? They're probably good picks for counselors. And get a few different opinions. If a doctor says you have a life-threatening disease and you feel fine, are you just going to accept that? No. No. You'll get a second or even a third opinion, won't you? So don't, you know, find godly friends that can help you take honest inventory of yourself and discover your gifts and talents. They might point you in a direction you may not even have contemplated. And God will do the same for you through counsel if you ask him. Observe providence, number four. I came to preach Christ's gospel and a door was opened unto me of the Lord. God will often show you what he wants you to do through provid providential events that happen around you. So in seeking his will, keep your eyes open. God often guides us in his will by closing doors to some opportunities and opening doors to others. Like Balaam, we're beating our donkey to go somewhere and we don't even know that an angel is standing in the way. You won't see the blessings because of your stubborn tunnel vision. In fact, God will permit, because we serve a permissive God as well, God will permit you to do something that is not his will because you're pushing for it. You're insisting on it. He's told you what you need to do, but you continue to insist on doing what you want to do. Be careful not to dishonor God by not being in harmony with his word. He will open doors for ministry, for opportunity, for career, for relationships, you just need to ask. You receive not because you ask now. Pray and fast. This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. 
And if we know that he hears us, whosoever, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. When you want to know God's will, you need to pray. He will guide you, but you also need to harmonize your request with his will. In John 15, 15, Jesus says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. If you know the will of God, if you want to know the will of God, be a friend to God. How do you become his friend? How do you become friends with anyone that you meet? Yes, you communicate, you tell each other everything, you share everything. That's what God wants you to do with him. Talk about your plans together. Spend time praying and talking to the Lord. Amen. God reveals his will to his friends. Include fasting, which is a deeper level of seeking clarity regarding God's will. In Acts 13, when the disciples were wondering what their next missionary endeavor was to be, the Bible says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called, unto whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Notice that they knew the direction God wanted them to go as they fasted and listened. Fasting often clears the mind and helps us separate the carnal desires from spiritual priorities. Six, have faith. But don't be foolhardy. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. He will direct thy paths. In determining the will of God, you need faith. If you're going to pray and fast to know his will, then believe that he'll show you his will. The Bible says that just shall live by faith, so trust that God has a plan for you and that he's going to show it to you in his time. One Bible scholar wrote, when you've sought to know his will, your part in the operation with God is to believe that you will be led and guided and blessed in the doing of his will. Think about that for a moment. If you're willing to do his will, then God is responsible to reveal his will to you. But you must believe. That's the secret. Yet while having faith is crucial, we shouldn't be foolhardy. Sometimes the road we need to take is the safe one. When you're pondering all your options in your life, if one of them is risky, when it comes to living the Christian life, don't tempt the devil to see how close to the edge of sin you can get. Don't take unnecessary risks with your soul. Your salvation is at stake. Seven, glorify God and don't be selfish. I was part of the Sabbath school this morning. 
Whether therefore you eat or drink whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. When you are seeking after God's will, make sure that the option you choose will glorify him. If one of your options is going to harm his kingdom, then it is the wrong option. Never forget to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. In every decision, ask yourself, Lord, or ask him, Lord, is this going to reach more people for you? Lord, what will make the biggest impact for your kingdom? Lord, how will I be the best advertisement for your glory? This is a vital factor in your decision process. It is part of loving God with all of your heart, all of your mind, your soul, and your strength. And much like trying to consider God's glory in our decisions, we need to remember the effect it will have on our neighbors. And who's our neighbors? It's our spouses, it's our parents, grandparents, children, grandchildren, in Romans 14, it says, None of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. It's quite sad when people make decisions, and all they're concerned with is, what's in it for me? If they have to go somewhere, what's the climate like? In Galatians 5.14, it says, All the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Christians should be governed by love, not just for God, but for others too. So we need to think of the families and the decisions that we're making and how that's going to impact them. Sometimes I'm, I'm amazed by the simple faith of those working in the ministry who receives offers with better pay and hours, but they realize that God's will for them is to stay in his service where they already are. The mature Christian doesn't need to know what's in it for himself. It's a sign of true conversion when someone isn't always saying, what's in it for me? Be guided by the Holy Spirit. Thine ear shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way. Walk ye in it. When you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left, in searching for God's will, you need to listen for that still, small voice. God will speak to you, and he will send his Holy Spirit to guide you. Ask yourself, How am I feeling led by God's Spirit? Sometimes it's hard to hear that little voice, isn't it? Very hard to hear. How do you think Abraham knew when he was supposed to take his son to the altar? God had spoken to him. Years ago, in the desert, Arabs used to um, carry a dove in the caravan. So when they hit a a sandstorm, and they were blown off course. Um, sometimes they had to be inside for days. And when they came out, they were quite disoriented. 
They would release the dove, and the dove was a homing pigeon, and he would head home, and so the caravan, caravans would all get ready and start following this dove home. In the Bible, the dove is also, the Holy Spirit's also referred to the dove. Many times the Apostle Paul says, the Spirit said, go here, and other times it said, don't go. He was really in touch with the Spirit of God. And you can actually test whether it's the Spirit of God because the Holy Spirit will never lead you contrary to the Word of God. Many Christians will have a certain peace when God's Spirit is telling them what to do. Be patient and be faithful to where you are. We count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. In deciding the will of God, you must determine to be patient. How many of you are patient when we go to the Lord with a request? <laughs> it's very hard. It's very hard. Sometimes we become restless and want to do just about anything, but keep guessing at what we should do. We want to act sooner than later, but sometimes God wants you to wait. You know, when I came into the faith, I was in one church on the Central Coast for 10 years, and um, 12. Um, and I faced, this was prior to coming here, this has only been my, only, my second church since I've been here. I've been in the faith 14 years. And prior, to, uh, I had many challenges huge challenges up there and huge learning curves and many times I wanted to leave but God said no no and so I stayed and when I came here to Dundas I realized that that was actually my training ground for a lot of the things that I come across here and he's not finished with me yet praise the Lord he's still working on me and so, be patient, determined to be patient. You know, sometimes it's way, but I've really been waiting so long. Be glad. You're better off waiting for God's will, having the right job, the right spouse, or the right school, than rushing ahead of the Lord and having the wrong job, the wrong spouse, or the wrong school. You're going to be miserable if you are not patient. In your patience, this is, I love this, this saying, in your patience, possess ye your souls. Patience here speaks of a strong endurance, not a passive waiting. It's not a passive waiting. You still have to do what God's called you to do in that environment. It's not a passive waiting. You do it. You continue to do it. And, and, and waiting, trusting the promise of Jesus. You know, Moses wanted to deliver the Israelites, didn't he? In his way. But it backfired in, in, in murder. And he waited 40 years before he got another opportunity. He certainly learned his lesson. In Exodus 14, 13, he says, Fear not, stand still. Fear not, stand still. Be still and know that I'm God. Often God's people didn't know what to do or where to go, but God said for them to just stand still. He also said to them, you shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, 
Stand ye still and see the salvation of the Lord with you. Remember the Jericho one? They had to blow a trumpet. <laughs> they didn't have to do much. They had to blow a trumpet. Sometimes God's will for you is simply to be patient. Apparent delays could mean that rather than you picking an option, God's will is coming to you in a special delivery. You just need to stay where you are and watch what happens. God could be saying, stay right there. I'm going to change everything without you doing anything. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. But while you're waiting patiently for new directions, continue to do the work at hand with all your heart. Many fail to fulfill the present will of God for their lives because they are longing for something different. God's not ready for you yet for something different. So whatever you're doing, do it with all your heart. Do it all to the glory of God. Ten, determine, nearly finished. Determine your heart's desire. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. When exploring God's will for your life, don't forget to consider what you want. Nothing wrong with that. Don't be ashamed of including this in your list of criteria. Sometimes God will place things on your heart because he wants you to do that thing. And because it is in your heart, you want to do it too. You know, when he called me to ministry up on the coast, um, I had only been, ever been able to do massaging part-time. Um, that was my first passion as work is concerned. I was in the corporate world. But when he called me to do his work, I could do massage full-time. And I just had to focus on that. And that's a desire of my heart. So don't be, don't be, um, don't be afraid to put your desire of your heart in there. If you're truly converted, he can and will often implant within your heart a burning desire to do the very thing he wants you to do. By the converted nature, your desires will begin to align with the Lord's. Many times you'll pray about something that you want and God's answer will be, I know I love you. I want to give you what you want. But the key to this is found in Psalm 37.4, which says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. If your delight is in God and his will, you'll be finding out he's giving you the desires of your heart. That's exciting when you think about it. And he might even surprise you. So tally the evidence. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. We all have, we all have GPSs in our cars. But we need to wait a moment for the satellites, yeah? To acquire the satellites. And as it picks up another satellite and another satellite, it gives us more accurate direction, doesn't it? Because of its ability to, to triangulate your position. It should work that way when you are trying to discover God's will. We've looked at a number of criteria from the Bible and common sense of how you can determine the will of God in any aspect of your life. Sometimes you're going to need a number of these criteria to overlap, to triangulate before you can truly see where God is pointing you. 
You need to do a little math, add things up and make your decisions. Make a list. Ask yourself, what does God's word say? If the answer isn't as obvious as you think you need, ask, what do my counselors say? And which one of my choices truly glorifies God? Keep telling the results until you have a decision you can stand on firmly. When courting your potential wife, make a list of pros and cons about marrying and you will make decisions based on the preponderance of evidence or do pre-marriage counselling. Do you think it tosses out the passion? Prayerfully evaluating compatibility does so much more to ensure many years of blissful romance. And for those that are already there, you might be wondering, this is all great advice, but I'm supposed to be where I am. I believe I'm in the middle of God's will right now. That is indeed a wonderful place to be. But chances are that at some point in your life, you may need a course adjustment. When undertaking the Bible workers' role here at Dundas and also the children's Sabbath school, because I was never in the children's, so I was always in the adult Sabbath school, I was not sure if that was what God was calling me to do. But again, I was advised to pray and ask God to prove myself, to prove me in these roles. And I can honestly say that I am because of the joy I experience in these roles. You know, um, for those, I'm not sure, but I have two nephews that are in oil drilling. And um, oceanic oil drilling used to consist only of platforms, and we used to worry about them because of the dangers out there. But the platforms would be anchored deep into the seafloor, and drilling from these float floating barges didn't work efficiently because the drilling lines and pipes would crack under the constant motion of the ocean. But today, they have sophisticated ships that make constant correction for the motion. They have computer-controlled propellers all, way, all the way around them, and they are no longer anchored in one place. The ships can actually modify their position constantly through microsecond adjustments from the computer so they can keep drilling on the exact center. That's how it should be with us as Christians. We need to be consistently measuring that we're in the middle of God's will based on the criteria listed in his word. Once you stop calibrating, it's very easy for us to begin drifting. Of course, you also want to be tethered to Jesus Christ. You might be in the right vicinity of God's will, but you still might not be in the middle of God's will. Keep reviewing the list until you find exactly where God can use you most efficiently and effectively. So one, be willing and surrendered. Two, be guided by his word. Three, consider Christian counseling. Four, observe providence. Five, pray and fast. Six, have faith, but don't be foolhardy. Seven, glorify God and don't be selfish. Eight, be guided by the Holy Spirit. Nine, be patient and be faithful to where you are. Ten, determine your heart's desire. Eleven, tally the evidence. 
and 12, are you already there? So in concluding, Romans 12, 2 says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove or test what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Many otherwise faithful Christians are finding themselves doing the, imper the imperfect will of God. They are restless and unhappy. Sometimes that means they are being the consistent witness God knows that. Sometimes it means that they are not being the consistent witness that God knows they could be. So brothers and sisters, where would you rather choose to be? The safest place in the world is to be in the middle of God's will. It doesn't matter if you're surrounded by war or typhoons, tornadoes, volcanoes, or earthquakes. If you are in the middle of God's will, we have nothing to worry about. Amen? Amen? This message was made available by the Dundas Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit their YouTube page, Dundas Seventh-day Adventist Church.
my will but yours be done Though I don't understand The best laid plans I've made
The Forbes family sang, I have a father who can. And before that, we heard Marlita Fong sing, Lord, keep me in your will. And coming up next, the Calvary Quartet will sing, My life is thine. I cling, my Savior, I humbly pray, receive thy gifts I bring today, Lord Jesus, my life is thine, my will, my talents, and my time, Lord Jesus. I need Thee more each day. Lord Jesus, control my thoughts, I pray. My Savior, to Thee I bow. Come, help me, mold me, use me now. Lord Jesus, here is my heart. to God's Favourite Shepherds, a collection of 39 short stories rounding out the lives of mainly lesser-known Bible characters, with many of the stories ending with a short quiz. Listen now to the author of God's Favourite Shepherds, Bill Ackland. Today's story is entitled A Phenotop, and the subheading for this story, From God's to God. And this story is based on Genesis chapters 41 and 50 and Exodus 12. When I was very young, my grandfather told me I was living in a special time in my country's history. The land was producing such large harvests, we wondered where it could all be stored. 
We have no need to worry, Grandfather said, for Joseph will take care of all that. I wondered who this Joseph was. I learned that he was once a prisoner. He had told the meaning of two amazing dreams the king had that all the wise men of the land could not understand. Because he did, that Joseph had been made ruler of our country next to Pharaoh. More than that, he had plans as to what was the best thing to do with all the grain and other crops our country would produce for seven years. That was very important, for Joseph had told Pharaoh that following seven years of the best harvest we had ever seen, there would be seven years of drought, a drought so severe that not a thing would grow. However, that did not worry me too much then, for I had seen only five winters and I spent my days playing with my friends. I am writing now many years later. Much has changed in our country. The land of Egypt, Joseph the governor, who had saved our country from ruin by wisely storing all the large surplus of crops, had brought his father and all his 11 brothers' families to Egypt. Pharaoh had said they could settle in one of the best parts of our country, the province of Goshen. That Pharaoh had died, as had Joseph. The new Pharaoh was fearful that the children of Israel, as Joseph's extended family were called, would rise up against us and take over Egypt. I had established my home and plot of farmland very close to where these foreigners lived. I had come to know some of them very well and was shocked one day to learn that all these people were to be made slaves to Pharaoh and all of Egypt. I hope Pharaoh doesn't hear what I'm about to say, but I believe he has been far too harsh with these people. As well as caring for their own land and crops, they had to prepare for major building works in our country, temples and other magnificent buildings that we hoped would last for thousands of years. Many countries have slaves, but my view is that to get the best out of them, they have to be treated like human beings and not like work animals such as donkeys and oxen. I just wonder what the future holds for these people and for the country of Egypt. I am an old man now, so the future is hidden from my eyes. I am Aphenotop's great-grandson. I will not tell you my name, for this is his story, and I am merely completing what he started to tell many years ago. As Aphenotop said, the children of Israel were made slaves years ago. Understandably, they did not like this kind of life, especially since Pharaoh had made their lives almost unbearable by ordering them to find the materials to make the bricks, which was the main work they did. However, a series of terrible disasters has come upon our country this very year as I complete this story. So many plagues have devastated our country. Instead of the many trees that grew throughout Egypt, there are now only giant wooden splinters sticking up out of the ground. Locusts ate everything that could be eaten, and we are despairing that we will all die if these plagues continue. Before every plague came, Moses, the children of Israel's leader, gave Pharaoh the opportunity 
to agree to them to go out into the wilderness to worship their God. But Pharaoh would not let them go. However, I think that things will change now. As I write, I am mourning the death of our firstborn child and the firstborn of all my flocks and herds. Pharaoh's firstborn son has also died. And I have heard a rumour that the children of Israel are going to leave Egypt tonight. I have been thinking deeply through all the time of these plagues. Someone who can do such amazing things must surely be the true God. If that is the case, then I should worship him too. Perhaps our family should pack up our belongings and take some of our sheep and cattle with us to follow wherever Israel's God leads them. Yes, that is what I will do. So I must put my quill down now, fold up the parchment that a phenotop commenced many years ago, and lead my family into a new and unknown future. Here is a brief quiz for you to do. What is the name of the country where this story happened? What other people group lived among Aphenotop's people? In Aphenotop's grandson's time, what disaster happened to the country? What was the last plague the people suffered? Did Aphenotop's great-grandson stay in his country? been listening to God's Favoured Shepherds, a book with 39 short stories rounding out the lives of mainly lesser-known Bible characters. If you have any comments or questions, or to obtain a copy of this book, give us a call within Australia on 02-4973-3456, or send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.